perhaps some of you in this room are like me and can identify when it comes to a certain area of life. Now, I'm not saying all of you. I'm not even saying most of you. What I'm thinking is, is that there is some of you in this room that can relate to the issue of being distracted. Mm-hmm. I put a survey question out on Facebook at the beginning of the week. And I asked this question, what are those things that you find to be distracting in your life? The answers came in quickly. Some were serious, some were funny, some were sad, some were inappropriate. <laughs> From our phones to social media, binging on Netflix series, stress, our hobbies, our habits, from our to-do list that's longer than the day is, our own thoughts, toxic relationships, answering survey questions. <laughs> that was actually on there, Jeff Butcher. That was so good. That's what distracts him, answering the survey questions that I'm asking about. Oh, Jeff, I, uh, I hate you and you're tacky. Um, just, he knows I'm being serious. Okay. <clears throat> From politics to yoga pants. <laughs> From fun things to work. From trying to make a house a home for your family. From everything to nothing. It can all be distracting. A couple of weeks ago, I walked down the hallway. I opened up my bedroom door and the hinges squeaked. And I thought to myself, I'm a man. I know how to fix this. Off to the hardware store I go to get some WD-40 because as you know, that stuff's not just good to cook with. <laughs> it's great for hinges as well. So on the way there, I'm noticing my car is filthy. I was like, I'm, a, I'm disgusting. I'm gonna go to the car wash. I take it through the car wash. I'm vacuuming it out when I discover a treasure a pile of quarters that I did not know was there. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. I counted it, $5.25. And I thought to myself, a burrito at Fens <laughs> with two salsas is only $3.98. So off to Fens I go. I'm eating my burrito, I meet somebody there, we chat, they ask me a question, I said, let me check that. I go into work, I check some emails, I, I, I take some phone calls, I'm working on some camp, I'm working on the week, lunchtime rolls around. I may have or may have not, you can't prove it, played nine holes of golf. <laughs> Get done playing golf, come back to work, work for a few hours, do a few things, go home, talk with Jen, we have dinner, we watch a movie, it's great. She says, I'm going to go to bed, that's fine. I said, I'm going to stay up and I'm going to watch God's preferred news network. Sports Center. <laughs> I watch Sports Center for an hour. I get tired. I walk down the hallway. I opened up my bedroom door. And guess what? That's right. Squeak she goes. What is the moral of the story? No. Don't open your bedroom door. <laughs> the moral of the story is that we can all be distracted. I love the quote that said, if I had a dollar for every time I got distracted, I wish I had a puppy. <laughs> Perfect. Distractions can be dangerous. 
Distracted drivers are responsible for 1.6 million accidents per year. We, we know that that is dangerous. Whether it's our driving, our personal lives, our spiritual lives, our homes, our marriages, or our businesses, being distracted can be dangerous. Now, if you're like me and you struggle at times with distractions, I want to remind you of something that you already know. You already know this, but I want to say it up front, and that's this. The things that we get distracted by are seldom as important as the things we get distracted from. In other words, we leave something that is most important and we tend to something that is less important. This morning, I would like for us to consider the subject of dealing with distractions. There's a narrative in the Old Testament that speaks to this issue beautifully. And it's helpful for those of us, if you're like me, struggle with being distracted. A man by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says something in this text that speaks right to this issue. Before I tell you what he says, I want to share a few things with you about who Nehemiah is. He's a Jewish exile. For 300 years, Israel had been a wreck. Why? Because the Assyrians rolled in and they destroyed that part of the world. And they took over and they conquered. And the Jews were scattered. And then the Babylonians rolled in years later and they wreaked havoc. They, they stepped in and they destroyed everything around them. They conquered the Assyrians. They evaded the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed Solomon's temple. They carted off the best and the brightest to Babylon, including the Fab Four. They take the Fab Four with them. And I'm not talking about this Fab Four. I'm talking about the original Fab Four, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. This is the time frame. They take the best, the brightest, the smartest, the best looking, the tall, the dark, the handsome. We've got some Fletzy people here this morning, I'm sure. You're not supposed to know they're Fletzy, except they're all beautiful. They're all in good shape. They all say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. We know who they are. They'll be here from three to six months, but you're not allowed to know who they are. But we do know who you are. So basically what they did is they went in and they took all the Fletzy people. <laughs> That's what they did. They, they took, they, they, they didn't roll in and be like, hey, we need uh, 10,000 Mike Duffs. They're like, no, no, we don't need you. We need the tall, the dark, the handsome, the beautiful. And so they take tens of thousands. Now, keep in mind, when the Babylonians roll in and they conquer the Assyrians, they kill nearly a million people. It is not a gentle takeover. It is a bloodbath. And they take them away. The walls are destroyed. Solomon's temple is in ruins. The gates are off the hinges. The nation of Israel, the glory of Jerusalem, is literally a smolding catastrophe. It's awful. But then eventually, Persia conquers Babylon. And when Persia rolls in and they conquer the Babylonians, Cyrus the Great, the king, says, look, I really don't need you guys here. I don't want you guys here. If you want to go back, then fine. Go back. Go back to your people. Go back to do whatever you want to do. It's fine. I don't need you here. I don't even necessarily want you here. You're more of a burden than anything else. So you have, you have free right to leave if you want. 
But nearly 100 years have passed, so a lot of people were very comfortable in what has now become Persia. But tens of thousands of people, they go back. And when they go back, they find Jerusalem still in ruins. The walls are torn down, the gates are burned, the temple's destroyed, and things were bad. In every sense, things were bad. So they did their best to kind of rebuild it. In fact, they rebuilt the temple, but it's, it's nothing like Solomon's temple. It's a makeshift temple. In other words, it went from being like the Ritz to like the Starlight Motel. It, it's not beautiful. In fact, people who knew Solomon's temple, when they saw the new temple, they wept. And it was not tears of joy. They were devastated. They were crushed by it. Economically, things were bad. Militarily, things are in shambles. Everything's a mess. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Nehemiah and his family, they're still back in Persia, and Nehemiah and his family seems to be doing pretty well. They've got a little bit of money. They've got a little bit of clout. And guess what? Nehemiah, he becomes the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He is the cupbearer. Now, before you think, ooh, that sounds fun, I want you to realize that the cupbearer is basically a human guinea pig. That's what he is. So, Before the king could drink wine, or if it was water, or if it was food, or tapioca pudding, I don't know, whatever it was, the cupbearer would taste everything. Because in that day and time, what they would do to get rid of the king, they would poison the food or the drink. So basically, he's a human guinea pig. He's completely expendable. But there's one thing that's really great about being the cupbearer. The king trusts him. And so he has this great relationship with the king. And while he's the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, his brother who's in Judea comes back, and Nehemiah says, tell me, tell me all about it. You went back, you're fixing things up. How is it? I heard things aren't going well. And then his brother shares with him, and he was right, and Nehemiah is crushed. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 3 through 4. And it's what the Bible says, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem are also broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He's devastated. He's crushed. His heart is broken. I ask you a question. What is it that breaks your heart? What is it that breaks your heart? I know for me, for the past 10 years, the struggle that I've had to endure, do you realize how bad the New York Knicks are? The basketball mecca of the world, Madison Square Garden, is in ruins. Ownership is awful. Team is terrible. And I have Knicks gear that I can barely wear. You understand, you're cowboy fans. (laughs) You can identify with me, my brothers and sisters, the pain that Nehemiah is feeling. His heart is broken, and he can't get it off of his mind. He begins to pray, God, what do you want me to do? And he's praying, and he's fasting, and he's thinking, and then he does something stupid. 
It's so gutsy, but it's, it's reckless. One afternoon, he goes in to serve King Artaxerxes, the most powerful man in the world. You understand, he's the most powerful human being on planet Earth. He is the king. And King Artaxerxes realizes that something's going on with Nehemiah, and he asks Nehemiah, what's wrong? And at that point, maybe somebody in the room has their, their phone, and they're recording Nehemiah's friends, and you, literally they're going, no, don't do it, Nehemiah, don't do it. But he does it anyway. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. By the way, the reason that you're not sad in the presence of the king, in that culture you were supposed to reflect the king's glory. So to be sad meant that you didn't like the king or that you were plotting his death. So you don't roll into the king and act like, you know, Debbie Downer, like you're upset or something's wrong. No, you're happy. You're in a good mood. You're bringing good news. You're smiling. You're like, oh, king, you're looking good. Is that a new robe? Are those new sandals? Your crown is shiny. You're, you're, you're pumping him up. You're letting him know things are good. King, I'm here to serve you, and I'm so happy to do it. I just tasted wine. I'm not dead. You can drink it. I love it. And he said, never had I been sad. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad? Not good. Since you are not sick, now it's worse. This is nothing but sorrow of heart, so I became dreadfully afraid. Yeah, he did. He's about to die. Said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? And people in the room that knew Nehemiah that liked him probably put their head down and went, he's done. That's it. It's over. He notices Nehemiah's face. He said, what's going on? And then Nehemiah spills the beans. And then he asks for something crazy. He goes, king, I need some time off. What? I need some time off. And I don't just need a little time. I need a lot of time off. I, I, I would like to leave your service. <laughs> You're the king. I would like to leave you, and I would like to go back to my people, and I want to help rebuild the wall, and I want to help my people do whatever my people need for me to do. It's so gutsy. The king says to me, Nehemiah, yes, in fact, let me do one better for you. I'm going to make you governor of Judea. And here's why I'm going to make you the governor. Because if you just go back and you say, hey, I'm here to help, you're a dead man. But if I make you the governor, you've got some backing. And so I'm going to give you some letters. I'm going to put my king's seal on it. So wherever you go, you'll have safe travel. You'll have safe passage. And then when you get there, show them the letters. And tell them, I, the king, this is my seal. And you are now the governor of Judea. This way, they've got to do what you ask them to do. So the king backs them financially. He, he backs them as far as putting resources into his hands. And Nehemiah sets out with, with people, with food, with money, with the king's blessing, and with his finances, and with his caravan, and off he goes to help. He shows up at the city of Jerusalem, and it's worse than he had thought, worse than he had ever imagined. The people are depressed, Economically, things are a mess. 
morale is bad, the farming is bad, there, there's no military to speak of, all the surrounding regions were coming and going. There's no gates. They'll come and go as they please, do whatever they want, take whatever they want, take advantage of the people there. So one night, he gathers a group of people and he walks the wall, the perimeter, the outside of the wall. Now this is no small undertaking. This wall, it's, it's two and a half miles around. It's, it's 40 feet high. It's over eight feet thick. This is, not a small, this is not a small fence line. This is a giant, giant wall. And then after he does that, he pulls all the people together. He pulls all the leaders together because people want to know what's going on. And he's the governor now. He's the governor, so they have to do what he says. And he pulls them all together, and he casts this incredible vision. He said, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's why we need to do something. And here's the key. Here's why we need to do it now. And this is how we'll do it. It's so good. Like, his leadership is insanely good. If you're any kind of leader, read Nehemiah. It's like leadership 101. He assesses, he pulls people together, here's what we need to do, here's why we need to do it, here's how we're going to do it, and this is why we need to take care of this now. And then he does something brilliant, because there's all these people that want to help. And so he says, okay, I'm going to assign you a part of the wall that you live close by. So when you can work, you work. And all around this wall, people that live close to these spaces, they're working on the wall. The work begins. They start fixing, they start patching, reinforcing, rebuilding the parts of the wall that have been torn down, destroyed, and removed. Stay with me. Because there's a scene shift, because a bad guy shows up. His name is Sanballat. And him and his cronies, they have some authority in Samaria and some other areas. And they do not like what's going on. And they hear about the plan and they see the work. And at first, it's, it's harmless. They're just insulting them, making fun of them. They become the ringleaders of discouragement. They see the work, they're threatened by it, and of course they're threatened by it because a city with walls is fortified. A city with gates can be protected. A city with walls and gates can now be inhabited by a people who go, you're not coming into our city if we don't want you into our city. And so the work begins, and they begin to mock the efforts, and then they begin to threaten them. We're going to kill you. So Nehemiah's got to call everyone off the wall. He goes, okay, here's the deal. If, they're, if they say they're going to kill you, what you're going to do is you guys will work on the wall while you're working on the wall. You guys over here, you're going to turn, and you're going to protect the people. In fact, if you're working on the wall, I want you working on the wall with one hand, but on the other hand, I want your a hand on your, the sword, your spear, rolling pin, whatever you got. I need you to just, you're, you're going to have to be very vigilant. And it's really a mess. It's a nightmare. But he does it. And the work continues. Well, that's not enough. After the threats, they send letters. And then they send messengers to Nehemiah to ask him, hey, can we meet and talk things over? Maybe could we go and grab some coffee? Could we talk about what you're doing here? Now, listen. They didn't want to talk about it, and they certainly didn't want to grab coffee. The scripture is very clear. Guess what? They wanted to kill him. They did not like what he was doing. This was going to cost them a lot of money, and so they wanted him dead. And so they're like, hey, you know, maybe we go down to the Java house. We have some coffee. We talk about this. What can we do to help? I call, I'm not calling it, by the way, it's Java house. It's not Kith and Kin. I, it's just too hard to say. <laughs> Isn't it? You want to go to Kith and Kin? It sounds like I'm kissing my cousin. I, I am not saying Kith and Kin. 
it's Java. And if you're here and you work at Java, I'm sorry, but that's, that's just what I'm calling. So they, hey, let's go get some coffee. And they send messengers. And now here we go. This is, this is what I want you to get. Because Nehemiah says something. He speaks to the issue of dealing with distractions. And it's really good. They show up with a letter. They read it to Nehemiah. And so he shouts down. First of all, he's up on the wall. That's a good leader, isn't it? He is up on the wall. He's 40 feet up and he's working on the wall. I'm telling you right now, I am not an up on the wall leader. I am on the ground leader because I don't like heights. You want up on the wall leaders? Nehemiah is your man. And there's some people in this room, you're up on the wall leaders. And there's some people in this room that are on the ground leaders. And listen, don't be ashamed. Either one. Both work needs to get done. But Nehemiah is 40 feet up and he's working on the wall. And, and they, they shout up this message. And Nehemiah says, all right, you have something to write with. And they're like, we do. He said, okay, here it is. Here's the message. Here's what I want you to send back to them. And this is the moment that we're waiting for. And this is what he says that speaks beautifully to all of us when dealing with distractions in our life. Here it is, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I can't come down down 11 words that clarifies everything that Nehemiah is doing. Everyone around him that is working on the wall hears him say these words. And I would like for you to say these words with me out loud together, please. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. One more time. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now, I want you to think, church, I'm almost done, just for a minute. What is most important to you right now? What is most important to you right now? It could be a who, or it could be a what. But I want you to think in your mind and in your heart, what is the most important thing to you right now? Now I want you to think about what distracts you from those things. And remember, the things that we get distracted by are seldom as important as the things that we get distracted from. The Nehemiah asks a question that clarifies the whole matter, and we can learn from it when it comes to dealing with distractions. It's so good. It's found in the latter half of verse number three. He says, why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Why should I stop doing what I'm doing up here so that I can come down and deal with you? It, it makes no sense. Why should I stop doing what I'm doing up here? The thing that is most important to me, that is making the most difference with the people that are most valuable to me, why would I stoop down? And come down to you and even address this. I know what you want. I know what you're going to do. And I cannot allow you to distract me from what God is calling me to do. And it's a great question. Why would we lower ourselves for something of less importance? Why would I do that? Church, why would you do that? We know what's urgent. 
We know what needs to change. We know what needs to get better. We know what God wants for our lives, our spiritual lives, our personal lives, our emotional lives, our family lives, our dating lives, our business lives, our academic lives, whatever it may be. We kind of know, don't we? Already, right now, you already know. You know what's most important to you. But perhaps you've been distracted. Lord knows I'm not judging you for that. It's hard. It's hard for me to pay attention. You know what it is. Don't pay it any mind. Why would you stoop down like in Nehemiah's case from what you know God wants you to do? To do something of less importance. And here's a truth I want you to think about. When you're distracted from the battle that you were born for, you will face a battle you're not equipped for. When you are distracted from the battle that you were born for, you're going to face a battle you're not equipped for. You can think about it this way, in Nehemiah's case. If he had to come down off that wall, he's a dead man. He's not equipped for that battle. He's not a soldier. He's not a fighter. He's a wine taster. <laughs> think about that. Like, he's a, he's a wine taster. He's a wine taster with a vision. He's a wine taster with a purpose in his heart. He, he's a wine taster with someone that God spoke to and he said, I got to do something about this and I cannot be distracted. And think about it. If he'd have been distracted, it would have cost him his life. And even though the results aren't as extreme with you or with me, there's a parallel because there's certain things in your life and there's certain things in my life that if we listen to them, if we respond to them, if we acknowledge them, if we come down off of our walls, they're going to get us. They're going to get us. If we say yes to certain things, if we say yes to certain relationships, if we say yes to certain vices or habits or invitations, if we continue to say yes to these things, these invitations will kill our chances of being what God has called us to be. And we cannot afford that. When you're distracted from the battle you were born for, you'll face a battle that you were not equipped for. Think about King David. He should have been out with his men fighting the battle. But instead, he stayed home watching a girl take a bath, gets her pregnant, kills her husband, and his life is in ruins. Why? Because he wasn't fighting the battle that he was born for. So now he's got to deal with a battle that he is not remotely equipped for. And that's what happens in our lives. Here's the truth. Distractions are the destruction of our dreams in slow motion. Distractions are the destruction of your dreams in slow motion. Don't let distractions kill your soul, your purpose, your dream, and what God is calling you to do. Nehemiah didn't. And then check it out. I love this. He is the man. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 through 16. So the wall was what? Ha <laughs> ha. I love that. You know why? Because I don't fit. The only thing, I finish my food all the time. But there's a lot of projects that I don't finish. And I love that. So it was finished. I just, it reminds me of when Jesus said, it's finished. Yes, it is. I love that line. So the wall was finished on the, 20th, on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. What? And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things. 
that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. That's a good, that's a good thing. Here's something I want you to remember. When we don't give in to distractions, God gets the glory. When you and I don't give in to distractions in our life, God gets the glory. I love it. So, I want to ask you one question this morning. One question. And I want you to think about it. And here's, here's the question that I want to ask you. What's your wall? What is your wall? What is something that's too important in your life right now to come down from? What needs tending to? What needs finishing? What needs your focus? Perhaps it's some relationships. Your relationship with God. Maybe it's your marriage. Perhaps it's your friendships or a specific friendship. Your family, your kids, your health. What is it in your life that you must keep on working on in order to make things right? To get them back to where they need to be? What is the thing that you must follow through on and finish because it's just too important? Now you know this. I, I know you know this. You get this. You know it, but I'm going to say it. Our purpose is more important than our positions. Our marriages are more important than our money. Our kids are more important than our careers. Our hearts and our souls and our spirituality are more important than the successes that we have in this life. We don't have the luxury of being distracted. When Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions, he took a bold and decisive step to ensure the success of his military venture. He ordered his men to go to the cliff and to look down over the cliffs of the Dover. And as they looked down to their amazement, they saw every ship which they had crossed the channel engulfed in flames. They were burning. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat and now that his soldiers were unable to get home, there was only one thing that they could do. They could go forward and they could conquer. And that is exactly what they did. Faith Baptist Church, my friends, we have got to move forward. We have, have got to press towards that mark. We have been talking about living a life on mission. And we can't live a life on mission when we're looking back. We can't live a life on mission when we're distracted by the things that are not as important as what God is calling us to do. What's your wall? Faith Baptist Church, what is your wall? Let me pray for us. God, I am grateful for my friends, this church, your blessings. And the fact 
that you have called us to do a great work for you. God, there are people in this room this morning. Lord, you're speaking to them. They know what their wall is. They know what they need to fix. They know what they need to finish. They know what they need to start. They know what they need to pursue. And God, they know what they need to walk away from. Lord, do what only you can do. Speak to them. Speak to us. Change our hearts and our lives so that we will not be distracted from the things that cause us harm. Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for us. Help us to walk in that. And help us to not be distracted by the things that just don't matter. God, bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Here's my encouragement to you this week. Go work on your wall. You know what it is. You know. Now go work on it. God bless you guys. Have a great week.